Of Provoke, the podcast that takes a provocative look at advertising as a whole. I'm your host, Brian Wilder, and we have Kelsey in the West Coast studio. How you doing, Kelsey? Hey, I'm doing really good. I'm super excited about this episode. Oh, and for good reason. So, so you went, you recently went to a conference uh, in LA. Tell us, uh, tell us about this. Um, so this is my first big girl conference, and <laughs> <laughs> it was, um, yeah, it was hosted in Los Angeles. It was last Thursday. And um, the company that it was put on by is a company called World Form Disrupt. And um, I think like the the like point of view and perspective that World Form Disrupt as a events company is going for is they take um, all different types of niche categories within the media publishing um, realm and kind of break it down. And they have conferences kind of all over our country and all the main hubs and I think even internationally. But the one that I attended was Women in Media. And um, I was looking for a conference to go to just because I figured I was out on the West Coast near Los Angeles and there's probably got to be a bunch of really cool opportunities to learn and um, get talking to some new things. And I found this one and it seemed right up my alley. So uh, Evoke helped get me there. And it was, I really didn't have that I don't, I didn't really know what to expect. I had never really been to anything like this before and getting like to LA, sleeping in a hotel in LA and then getting to the conference in LA was seriously harder than any mountain that I have ever climbed ever. <laughs> and I've climbed some serious mountains. So it was, <laughs> it was, uh, it was quite the ordeal, but it was super awesome. I had an incredible time at, uh, World Forum Disrupt and, um, uh, basically, the conference could be broken down into three different themes. There was content is queen, which kind of, I mean, that's kind of self-explanatory. Everybody that's working in media knows how important content is um, and how that we as maybe really large companies or agencies, etc., can continue to produce so much content um, without kind of overdoing it or killing ourselves or um, almost like losing sense of what even we're trying to push out. Um, then there was the theme of diversifying, diversifying mostly the workplace. So there was a lot of people um, as far as like panelists and speakers there that worked in um, TV or casting or um, some kind of gatekeeper to what you know, the consumers see in media. And I thought that that was really interesting because someone used that word, like these guys are the gatekeepers to what we see in media. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of open conversation of just being able to bring in different types of people into the workplace, onto the screen. Um, and what that says about, you know, where we've got, like where we were, where we've come and where hopefully we're going. And then the last theme was normalizing the conversation. And this one really, um, I guess kind of got me by surprise because when I hear the like phrase normalizing the conversation, my immediate reaction is that we're going to change the language of the conversation that we're having mm-hmm. to maybe be more politically correct or more inclusive or whatever it is. Okay. But the speaker who was, there was a woman there um, and she was like the host of the conference and she runs a um, company in New York city um, called blog her. 
And this woman, yeah, so she was there and she was awesome. And uh, this was kind of her thing, normalizing the conversation and what she said in her point of view is it's not about changing the language behind the conversation. It's about being able to have the raw conversation without people being uncomfortable. And Mm. that really hit me because I never really thought about it like that. And uh, we kind of got into this discussion of you know, we don't want to put blinders up. We don't necessarily want to see every single person. Um, not that I'm suggesting that we shouldn't see every single person as equal. Right. That's obvious. But if we put blinders on, you know, I lose that perspective of, oh, you're from a completely different place. You've had completely different conditioning or upbringing, whatever it might be. Um, and you kind of lose that perspective. And that perspective is what hopefully opens up your own worldview and can bring in new stories and we can have a, a much richer experience as opposed to, um, you know, having these blinders on and seeing everything kind of um, just, I want to say as one, but that makes it sound like I'm saying that we're not all one, but hopefully, hopefully you and listeners can understand um, what I'm trying to get at. And I just was, I've been thinking about that one a lot, um, you know, not changing the language that we're using, but being able to have conversations without getting uncomfortable or, be, having everybody comfortable and I, I just thought that was really cool so those were kind of the three main topics there was posters and amazing um printed collateral all over the space which the conference was hosted at um WeWorks and I've never been into a WeWorks and it was really really incredible space um so shout out to WeWorks because <laughs> they had it going on um so those were kind of the three main themes and then of course it got broken down into different keynote speakers different panel sessions we did like round table discussions mm-hmm. with you know other conference goers um so i'm just gonna go right into it and uh the first talk the first um keynote rather was one of the most impactful i don't know if that because it was the first thing that came at me and i was like super excited or what it was but right. this was given um, by a woman named Debbie Madrano, and she was the SVP of Business Development and Operations at Discovery. Okay. And uh, the conference, or the excuse me, the keynote was engaging fans beyond the screen. Um, so secondhand experience, which is what we get on, you know, definitely in social, is secondhand experience is what we perceive on the phone. Um, so moving beyond just that, and. Her keynote basically took us through a couple different case studies, but it boiled down to brands, companies needing to get the consumer or needing to get the yeah you know, the the customer, the fan, um, to see it, to own it, to live it. And so, an example of see it, own it, live it would be something like Disney. You go and you see the Disney movie in theaters, or maybe you watch it on TV or Netflix cartoons, whatever it might be, um, own it. There's merchandise. You're able to purchase it, bring it into your home. And, you know, that now becomes a toy or some kind of memorabilia. And then live it was her example was we get to actually go to Disney. Um, we get to live the actual magical experience. Um, some people, like people are proposed there and, you know, all these different things that get us from, bringing the consumer in more than just the phone. And so, of course, all of her examples were very, I mean, they were Disney. She obviously works at Discovery. So she was talking about Shark Week because Shark Week was last week. Um, and she's talking about all of these really big 
big brands. Disney can pretty much do whatever they wanted to as far as a media budget or media campaign goes because they're Disney. And so, mm-hmm. um, I really loved what she was saying. And I, you know, her guiding principles of the conversation is, is it authentic? Is it compelling? And is it re- relatable? Right. And, as she's sitting there, I'm thinking and I'm like, yeah, like I hear you and this is awesome and I agree. But then I had to ask the question at the end, how does someone who's not Disney, how does someone who's not Discovery um, be able to still see it, own it and live it and get that consumer the whole 360 experience as opposed to, you know, just that second screen experience on social media or maybe it's just a commercial, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, her answer was kind of, well, you can crowdsource and you can find the passion within your fan base or within your, um, you know, community, wherever that might be, and, you know, try to crowdsource stuff. And I get the answer, but I'm still not completely sold um, just because, you know, what does a smaller agency that doesn't that does have budget based restrictions, how do they get their consumer base and their fan base Um to be completely involved in the brand, in the experience, in whatever it is, especially as, you know, everyone talks about, oh, we're moving towards experiential advertising. And, you know, so I guess I'm going to kind of open that question up to you as well, Brian, because this is something that I think you and I have off the air kind of talked about before. But how does someone, um, you know, with these uh, just hurdles that they have to jump over if you're not Disney – kind of enter into that experiential space to be able to get your consumers to see it, own it, and live it? Well, I mean, I think it starts with taking kind of an inventory of what your product or service does and then taking that and applying it to everyday situations Um, Mm -hmm. and then taking those everyday situations and kind of packaging them to whether it's influencers or, or brand ambassadors to kind of be the yeah. ones to go out there and say, you know, to, to be the evangelist for the brand. Because when you have people like Disney and Discovery and so on, they have they they have the manpower. Like they have right. dozens and dozens and dozens of people and the, the seemingly unlimited budget to be able to kind of bring those experiences that are tailor made, handcrafted to people at, you know, in at their doorstep. Um, and so mm. you kind of have to you kind of have to cut out that middleman a little bit and, and, and really kind of inspire ambassadors to be the ones that kind of sing your brand's praises. Um, yeah. I think that's one part of and it. That's kind of what she was getting at right. is find the ambassadors and, you know, be able to be able to take what you have from what you do have. And, in some other talks, it was very similar. Like all these amazing productions were happening, but it was almost only able to happen to like the 1% of brands, if you will, as far as just like crazy installations and stuff like that. And, you know, I asked the same question in my head, but then one of my answers was maybe that's what makes it so cool. Right. You know, maybe that exclusivity of being able to do an installation that took two months to plan and however million dollars to install for Corona, Right. Like maybe that's what makes it so cool is because it it can't be touched by everybody else. So that's still I'm still whirling with those those questions in my head. But I love the um, just the premise of 
going beyond that secondhand experience or that second screen experience um, and getting people fully immersed in whatever it is that you're doing. Right. And, um, I, and I'll know. Oh, go ahead, Brian. No, no. no I was just going to say that that's that's based, that's definitely the other part of it um, is like what what good is it? What good is an experience if, you know, other people yeah. can relate to that experience? You know, it's there is that it's that exclusivity factor. Um, and so yeah. that's why brands like Discovery and Disney spend m- presumably yeah. millions and millions and of dollars to kind of create a one of a kind experience that they can that people who experience it can say that they no one else can come close to that. No one else can mimic or replicate that experience. And so I think that's yeah. another hurdle that smaller businesses and brands have to keep in mind is that, you know, the, the big guys are going to have that 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 lion's share of voice just because they have the resources and the budget to do so. Um, right. But I think, I think it's just one of those things that you kind of have to be mindful of and, 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 and not necessarily compare yourself to the Disney's and discoveries because it's just, it would, it's, you're comparing apples to oranges. Like you have to be able to kind of be realistic and kind of work within your own lane as a brand. And, and mm. you'll, you'll, you'll see, you'll see positive results. You'll see that success. It just might not be on the same scale as a a large enterprise right so i guess just take a look at what you do have and be able to really capitalize and make the most out of that um the assets that you do have to be able to make it that most immersive experience it was um no aside from all of this just kind of like all these talks and hopefully you can kind of hear it through what i'm saying but um i was honestly really surprised at how honest everybody at this conference was um as far as the speakers and the host like everybody when when we got we had a lot of like open discussions where people would question and answer and you know from the people sitting down to the speakers on stage who have clearly mastered like whatever it is that they were trying to accomplish in their career um everyone was super honest and if there was a a place or a point where you know, a speaker or a keynote speaker was kind of having this realization of, oh, like, I could do that better. Um, it was, like, opened and discussed. And I think that that was part of what made the conference and all these speeches so much to be able to walk away with, that there were people, um, you know, they had a panelist of people from um, Forbes 30 under 30 list who have all accomplished some incredible stuff in media. Right. And, like, all of them were just, like, we definitely don't have it all together. The question was, how do you like work life balance? And five of them across were like, nah, we, we don't have that one figured out yet. And, um, I just thought that was just a side note. I just thought that was really cool. And maybe if we all were a little bit more honest with ourselves, we'd right. have like, you know, an, a more like authentic and real experience as far as maybe in a workplace or whatever it was. So that's just a side note. Um, so the second keynote that was very impactful for me was given by a woman named Nina Seath, and she um, worked for The Economist, and she does marketing solutions with The Economist based mm-hmm. in New York City. Right. And um, her her keynote was titled Media. It's not just for men and blondes. Career advice to my younger self. And uh, she, of course, opened it up and she goes, listen, I have nothing against men and I have nothing against blondes. <laughs> and um, so I'm like sitting preface. front row. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so she was she grew up in Canada um, and she obviously lives here now. But she, I think her family um, 
they they were not Canadian originally or uh, um, American. They were from the East somewhere. And she kind of grew up with this perspective of um, never seeing herself in media, right. which is something that we definitely have made bound, like leaps and bounds jumps from, you know, from the current moment to kind of when she was a kid growing up. But I was also the youngest person probably at the conference. There was maybe two other people that were around my age. And so a lot of the times, especially in, in Nina's talk, they talked about people um, from that, that they saw in media pioneering the way that I had never heard about. And uh, <laughs> they would introduce a person and they're like, this person needs no introduction. Like, we all know who this person is. Right. And I'm like writing it down, like in my like footer on my notepad, because I have no idea who the hell that person is. Um, so that was kind of like eye opening also for myself to see all of these women and all of these pioneers of different colors um, and different backgrounds kind of like allow me to be here and like do what I'm doing. And as far as anybody, any other women or any other people of color, um, y- you know, I thought that that was, it was kind of just like a reflective moment, like a thanks moment. Um, but she just kind of went into this talk about um, the history of women in media, what, what was shown on the screen versus what she recognized, you know, what she, she never saw herself in anything. And then when we started to make progressive moves, she started to see herself um, in people on the screen or in magazines. Um, And that kind of ultimately got her, you know, from wanting to be in media, but not really thinking that she could be in media to, of course, you know, not being, um, you know, working with The Economist, she was able to kind of see that. And she also worked at Ogilvy, so she has a little bit of an ad background. Um, but she gave – the talk was basically moving through that history and then looking back to her younger self who didn't feel like she was um, really recognizable to mainstream media. And she said that there's – her first advice was that there's more to an industry than what meets the eye. Um, and just talked about that adaptability, curiosity, and lateral thinking will kind of give you the ultimate edge to making it where you want to be, whether that's at an intern level or at, uh, you know, a C level, just being able to, um, always have continuous curiosity, especially in media, because it's moving so fast, it's never really going to be the same. And if you aren't staying curious, you're never going to really be able to keep up with it. Um, the second advice was change is always coming always. Um, and that change equals opportunity and opportunity can sometimes be really, really scary, but to jump and take that opportunity. Right. The third piece of advice was, um, you don't need the, you don't need to be the first to affect change. And then she kind of got into this, um, spiel about how our culture values youths and first. So we have Forbes 30 for 30. We have, um, all these different like big groups recognizing, um, 40 under 40 or young people. And, this was the first person to do this. And this was the first person to do this. And she kind of played this highlight reel almost in media and on video and on uh, magazines or print of showing youngest person to do blank. Um, so her point was be ready to capitalize on the moment when people are um, willing and ready to listen to you speak and don't underestimate the change that you can bring to a place of work or to Maybe even just a single project. Mm-hmm. Um, and then her last little closer was keep your mind open and stay inspired. Um, learn from other people's intelligence and 
Uh, this was a notable quote. There is value in the expanded view of the human experience. So as we are diversifying in our workplaces, as we are diversifying the media that, you know, people that we bring into media and we users and consumers get to see, and as we normalize the conversation, as we, you know, share our own insights are hopefully that, you know, our individual views will be expanded and that kind of enriches the entire human experience. So um, Mina Seath was really, really cool. And I think that she, um, that one was less about media and more about like that self power in media that even if you don't see yourself in something, hopefully we can continue to affect change to make it there. And it, that's, it was also like an interesting moment for me because I mean, I'm a blonde hair, blue eyed woman, um, so sitting here and seeing her perspective, it wasn't really anything that I've have experienced. And I think being able to like sit in a chair and listen to her and understand her experience, like that ultimately is that expanded view. Um, and so I guess that's just like a challenge to people to be able to see themselves and others. And what does that, you know, maybe that doesn't do mean anything with specifically media. Maybe that's just a personal um, feat or thing that'll hope maybe make you a better person and whatever it is that you do. So, um, yeah, Nina was really, really sweet. And she has a really great Twitter handle at Nina Seath. If anybody wants to jump in and see, you know, the kind of stuff that she talks and shares about. Um, any questions, comments well, on that one? Or I mean, I, think I guess I'm just going based off of the uh, the title of the, the presentation. Um, you know, media, it's not just for men and blondes. It's not, it seems that seems kind of like almost like clickbaity, right? It's just like it's mm. it's it's not necessarily what the 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 keynote focused on. Um, but I think it was a way to kind of like get people's attention. Yeah, it was definitely definitely that. But I will say that in the be- like the first before she kind of went into this career advice to my younger self part of it, um, she did do a basically history timeline and really all that you saw for (laughs) you know three-fourths of her timeline were men and blondes um and it wasn't really until oprah came onto tv that you know and some other again i was definitely outdated by all of these references so i couldn't even really give all the names of people i wish that i could i wrote down what i what i what i was able to but um you know for kind of way way more than you would hope it was just men and you know blondes in media and on tv until it kind of got opened up um and then of course in the present day that's it is less of an issue but in the 70s when the the original women's movement was really being planted you know that's when you started to see a lot of change and um with miss magazine and uh gloria steenham and you know people like that being able to pioneer that little changes and so i think the beginning of her 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 keynote was a lot about not ever seeing herself placed in media especially being a woman of color and um you know transported from canada into the u.s um and then i think she kind of went back to talk to her younger self of like hey if you if you bring the best that you can and always hope to affect change right things will come so right um and then the last one that I want to kind of talk to you and share with our users was um, from there was a bunch of people there from Getty Images, which I was hoping that someone from their party was going to speak because at Evoke, we don't necessarily use Getty, but we do use um, 
you know, stock photography and some of our social strategy. So I was really interested to see what they, if anyone was going to talk about that, um, especially with this content is queen theme. So the third topic that I'm going to talk to you guys about was um, from a woman from Getty Images and her... Her name was Kristen, Kristen Benson, and uh, the keynote was stop creating content and develop a point of view. And essentially what this broke down into was before she said content BS, BS standing for before social. So before social, we'd have um, all these people and we would drive all these people to content. So if you were mapping it out on your brain, you have a cluster of stick figures with an arrow pointing towards that content. Now with social, we put out content and we have to now drive people to that content. So that other side of that map would look like content, arrow, people. Right. And so, you know, everybody is producing so much content. How do we, one, get people to see it? And two, how do we make an impact um, instead of just kind of throwing out garbage content or garbage imagery or whatever it might be. And she said, we have to go back to basics and we got to answer um, basically the who, what, and where. And so the who, what is the goal? We have to get really specific um, with what and who we're trying to, you know, target, which is no surprise to any of us really. Um, and then the what, same thing, but the where is what she focused on. And the where is no longer just one answer. Mm-hmm. The, you have the who, you have the why, you have the what, and then you have the where, the where, the where, the where, the where, because we have, we're putting that same content pretty much all over the map right. now. Um, and so, you know, I just thought that that was, not that it was really new information to me in social, but um, seeing her kind of map it out as if you're going to start a new campaign or you're going to do a different type of A-B testing or um, whatever it is that you might be doing in a particularly social aspect, I think it probably could apply across the board, but particularly social because there are so many different outlets um, when you're really breaking it down and trying to be a storyteller as opposed to um, an advertiser because honestly just advertising right now and social isn't really going to be that successful. Um and so breaking down the who, what, when, and then five where's taking it to all the different platforms. Um, and again, this isn't really any new information to me or you, Brian, but, you know, that same where, whatever you're putting on, you know, whatever platform, whether it's on social or on YouTube, YouTube is social, but video it's never going to be the same, whether you're sharing it to Instagram stories and Snapchat stories, it could be the same piece of content. It could be linking back to the same story. They're still going to look different. Um, and I think that was a lot of what she was kind of getting at and that we're no longer, um, putting out, you know, content and having people flush to it. It's like, we got to find the people that match best with our story and get it to them on the best platform for them. So, you know, we let ideas create creative and our data has to support that, whether that's through the different target audiences or demographics or just even social insights that we get from reporting month to month. Um, so 
her talk was kind of short and simple, but I liked hearing it come from someone from Getty Images, where obviously they do a lot of stock photography. Mm-hmm. Um, and her her whole presentation was done, of course, with stock photography. And some of them were funny. Some of them were very meme-like stock photography ones to get the crowd laughing. Right. But some of them were also very engaging and, you know, were able to still tell that story. And part of her thing, you know, that she said was, there's no way that you could ever really create all of your content by yourself. And that's why like the first keynote with discovery, that's why you crowdsource and that's why you have partners and you share assets, um, et cetera. So stop creating content, develop a point of view. And when you go through the who, what, when, where's ask about five whys, or excuse me, ask about five where's and what all your outlets are. So I, I, I mean, I like the premise um, but I, it's interesting because uh, again, like like you mentioned earlier, it kind of goes against one of the themes that you mentioned, the idea of, like content being queen. Um, so when they say when they're talking about developing a point of view, is it more so you taking control of the 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 conversation, whether it's socially or what or, or, or otherwise, or what what exactly? Could you kind of dive deeper into what? changing the developing a point of view or changing a current point of view to something else would would entail yeah i think the point of view goes back to the where part of her conversation of where you're putting it and like you do have to change the um the uh points of views for your audiences on these different platforms not that the the brand is necessarily like saying one thing on one platform and then another thing on the other platform contradicting themselves um but i think the stop just creating content is like it's kind of just that idea of just flushing out what you need to because you're hitting a deadline i guess um like stop doing that because you're never going to really get your ad goals or your ROI goals or whatever it might be by just pushing stuff out. And the developer point of view, I think, goes to the storytelling part of what we're trying to do in advertising in 2018. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I guess being from Getty Images and having all of these, you know, a stock library where people used to try to create their own stories, it was develop a point of view for your brand, for your company, find what works, and then be able to distribute it onto the most appropriate channels. But know that it never is going to look the same across all those different channels, even though the why, the who, and the what of whatever campaign you're running will still look the same. The where you put it and how it looks is going to change. Right. Um that that was kind of my my initial impression on it but um yeah that's kind of that's that's what i got okay. out of it at least i don't know if that answers your question no, or no, think, if it still that, leaves you hanging that gives it a little more context because uh, obviously i mean cool. i wasn't there so trying to paint as, as vivid of a picture for the listeners out there as we can um so so, I'm trying to think back to yeah. Go ahead. So there was one thing I noticed whenever you okay. So it it was a women in media conference, correct? We can say that, that yes. that's that's what the premise was for this, correct? Yes, correct. So I'm looking at the guest speakers, right? Sure. And yeah. I'm scrolling. I'm scrolling. I'm seeing <laughs> columns and are are seeing rows of women, women in in executive positions, women you know doing big things, and then I see a guy. I see a Todd. Dude. I see a man. <laughs> uh, pr- presumably he's a man. And then I scroll down and I see another man. 
in the yeah. uh, the list of guest speakers. Um, so I kind of wanted to I, I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that first because I mean some people can go one can go either way, um, but I, yeah I, I I wanted to get your thoughts if you had any on the fact that there were men featured at this women in media conference. Yeah. Okay, so I kind of have a couple different things to say about this. Um, I think that there was also, hey, I'll also say that there were male attendances. There right, right, right. there were also people attending the conference that were male. Right. Um, and overall, it's awesome. I mean, if we can get <laughs> most of what this conference was, you know, honestly discussing was how hard women in the past and even presently, like lots of women on the panel have had to fight for their position or fight for um, being treated fairly or not being, you know, X, Y, and Z of all these different things from kind of, you know, a minor situation to some people that have gone through really serious lawsuits from being um, sexualized in the workplace or whatever it might be. So, to have men in the audience and listening and even male speakers there, I think overall it's great if we can become more inclusive and find that we can normalize the conversation without making the, um, you know, other people that we're talking to uncomfortable. That's great. I think that's what we're working towards. Um, on that same note, I will say that the two male speakers, I talked to three men while I was there. Two of them were the speakers and one of them was an attendee that I had a face to face conversation with. Um, to be honest, the two male speakers I felt were really uncomfortable. Um, and I don't know if that goes to them not maybe they just can't like they don't know what, what these women have experienced so it's hard for them to relate to that but i could definitely sense this i don't know the shakiness almost in both of their voices even though that they're ceos of you know huge media companies in los angeles right. um it's I noted that down. I didn't talk to anybody about that or anything like that. Um, at the conference, I've talked to a bit about a, with a couple of friends afterwards just to try to get some more insight, but I noted it down while I was listening to them talk about, you know, they were on different panels and the women, the, um, Samantha Ski, she was the chairperson, the woman from She Knows Media and Blog Her. She was on the panels with one of them and she had asked both of them, how do you feel being here? And like, what do you think of these conversations? And, it kind of felt like a circle, like their, their answer was never, it was not really an answer. It's kind of just a circle around it. And right. I just, I guess I thought that that was wildly, um, interesting. But the man that I talked to who was an attendee had, I felt like he was, um, super, super open-minded, super present, super conscious of the conversations we were having and, um, how like, it just, it seemed like there were no walls. It seemed like there was no barriers when I was having that conversation with the male attendee. Um, like he was genuinely stoked to be there to be able to be part of this conversation. Whereas it felt like the speakers were a little, um, out of their comfort zone. Right. I don't know if that's just my projection on the situation or if they actually were, but I think it's worth noting. Um, but both of them were, are basically in casting role directions. And so that, you know, going back to that diversifying theme, you know, these men sit in chairs that say, hey, yes, you're going to come onto my TV show or you're not going to come onto my TV show. And that's a huge role in being being a person of, you know, creating a diversifying um, network or whatever it might be, because, 
you know, they are the gatekeepers. They right. are the ones that, you know, see like the I- ideal quote unquote, whatever that means, person that should be on TV versus someone who maybe doesn't look like the ideal person that's supposed to be on TV and them saying, you know what, but you still have like the talent or what we're looking for. So we're going to go with you. And I, I, I thought that. You know, and I it was actually the third male that I talked to face to face that brought that up, that these these kind of people are the gatekeepers of, you know, basically what what gets on the screen or not. So um, I think that it was great to have not just women there, because I think if we need to actually change the conversation, then both genders or any genders or, you know, anyone across the spectrum needs to be involved right. in the conversation. Right. Um, because they are also have actionable points within the industry to make those changes. Um, and kind of while we're on this same note, something really interesting, there was a woman there, uh, and I think she was maybe volunteering for the production side, like taking videos and stuff on the, uh, world form disrupt end of the, of the event. And at the end, we were having, um, this open conversation and one of the men that were casting directors, um, was on the panel and this woman asked a question and she brought up, she, went in she said hi we haven't really talked about anyone we've talked about lots of types of different diversity but we haven't talked about um and like disability or able body diversity and she went in to talk about how she works um or she volunteers at a uh organization that essentially tries to place people with disabilities into jobs or into roles or whatever it might be. And she brought up the point that anytime we cast an able-bodied person in film or in media to play someone with a disability, mm-hmm. we're taking away a, dis- a person with a dis- disability's job who ultimately knows that position um and that experience better than any able-bodied person and she kind of directed that not she was not being hostile or anything like that it was just a genuine you know thing that she had passion for and wanted to make it a point and she directed it to one of the casting members or one of the casting directors and you could see him like really contemplating and thinking about that so hopefully that makes an impact um on him because i've been thinking about it and it really made an impact you know, on me. Um, and part of the honesty that I was talking about from people from this conference is, um, Samantha Ski, who was, you know, from She Knows Media and Blog Her, she also made the statement, like, I could definitely do a better job in my own role to be able to bring in people of, you know, varying diversity to kind of not just talk the talk, but actually, actually walk the walk. Not that she's not. I'm just saying she was so open and honest with herself and with all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it was just super, super impactful for like the professional side of my mind to learn, you know, all these different things that they had to say, but also really this personal side of my heart and mind to um, definitely feel empowered and feel inspired um, and very, very fortunate for all the people that have come before me um, and kind of paved ways for me to be where I am now to hopefully make the best decisions and actions that I can to you know, for my kids and the future generations to not even really have to have this conversation. Um, not that it's not a good one to have, but it's kind of, it's kind of also, um, would be sweet if it didn't really have to be, uh, that much of a conversation in the future. So, um, I would encourage anyone of any gender all across the board to be able to attend different stuff like this because it is super eye-opening and it all goes back to that expanded um, point of view and worldview that kind of enriches your own mind and hopefully makes your work more creative, your work more diversifying, which then and therefore can connect to so much more people as opposed to just one kind of stereotypical, you know, 
ideology or lifestyle that you're projecting onto whatever kind of media you're running. Um, Excellent. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I think that was a, a perfect way to kind of wrap that up. <laughs> um, I, as always, I want to thank uh, Kelsey for taking time to, to talk to us about the World Forum Disrupt uh, Women in Media Conference. Uh, it sounds like you had a fantastic time, and I'm, I'm really glad that you were able to have that opportunity to kind of learn a lot of really important concepts from some very, very talented people within the industry. Um, as always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, be sure to send them to provoke. That's P R O V O K at evokead.com and follow us on all of our social media uh, platforms to kind of keep up with our contributions to the advertising world. And, um, as far as today's quotes concerned, um, this is from Mina Seath, one of the, uh, keynotes. Um, she's, I, she's the, uh, the head of marketing solutions at the economist. And, um, she said, don't estimate, don't underestimate the change that you can bring to a culture. And with that said, y'all take care.